Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Hear now the word of the living God. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time in his word. Almighty God, the living God, we pray that you might speak to us now through your word, incline our hearts to hear, and we pray that you would give us aid by your spirit in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, among other things, the Apostle Paul describes the minds of believers and the minds of unbelievers. I want us to see three groups of three tonight. And if you're a note taker, lest you fear that that's going to be too much, Lord willing, it'll be a simple three group of three kind of evening. But before we jump into understanding what it is like for persons to go from a darkened mind to a renewed mind, Notice the beginning of our passage. This I say, therefore. Now, this ought to cause us to ask the question, what is it that Paul has said? If we're going to dive into this section and this section has a therefore attached to it, we need to know a little bit about what comes before it. And specifically, when Paul says in verse 17, this I say, therefore, there is a connection to at least two things. Prior to our passage, the first is found in verse 15, and that is union with Christ as our head. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may, that is, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Union with Christ as our head means something about our minds. But then related to that is the second thing also found in verse 15 that that therefore is connected to. And that is that we are growing up. We are growing in maturity. We are not staying where we were. Again, look at verse 15, picking up there prior to it in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, 
to the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or a complete or a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, boys and girls, that means back and forth, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but... Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So this section helps us to understand that Christ has given to his church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, so that Christians may come together and grow in their union with Christ. And so then Paul says, after all of those things, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So everything else that we're going to see tonight is based on the fact that we have been united with Christ and we are called to grow in maturity in Christ and to not walk like the world walks. Now, I mentioned three groups of three. The first set for tonight is three descriptions of the lost. Our passage gives us at least three descriptions of unbelievers, three descriptions of lost individuals. Let me give them to you. Verse 18, they have their understanding darkened. Also in verse 18, they are alienated from the life of God. And in verse 19... They have given themselves over to lewdness. Let me give you that list of three again, and then we'll walk through it. Lost individuals have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God. And they've given themselves over to lewdness. Now, what do these things mean? This list of three descriptions of the lost. Look there at verse 18. Paul has just said, do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, most, if not all of us in this room are Gentiles, meaning we're non-Jewish. But as Paul often does, he is contrasting believers with the peoples of this world who are not in Christ. So we need not be offended that we are Gentiles. No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Notice... Their minds exist in futility. And then we're giving, given a list. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Having their understanding darkened. There is a sense in which it is right and biblical to say that lost individuals have a darkened understanding. They are in darkness. They are not walking in the light. Now, this is not to say that lost persons cannot know anything. This is not to say that lost persons sometimes can't know more than saved persons can know. And this is certainly not to say that lost persons in God's common grace cannot be used in wonderful ways in various fields like medicine and science and technology. No, specifically, spiritually, they have futility of mind because their understanding is darkened. They have not come to the light of the knowledge of the face of Jesus Christ. But secondly, notice they're also described as being alienated from the life of God. 
Now, those of you that love grammar, this could be translated as what we call a genitive of source. The life of God here really could be translated life from God. They're alienated to the life that God gives spiritually to his believers. They have their understanding darkened and they're alienated from the life of God. And then we're given a reason here. Because of the ignorance that is in them. So not only do they have their understanding darkened, but they're alienated from the life that God gives because of the ignorance that is in them. We could take a few moments and survey some passages tonight. Places like Romans chapter 1 verses 19 to 21. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 5. To tease out this idea of lost individuals walking in ignorance. Turn over for just a moment then to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 19. Notice there, addressing a different theme, Paul writes to the church at Rome, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. The text continues, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see the connection there of walking in darkness and walking in ignorance. These are descriptions of lost individuals. But notice our passage continues. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. The ignorance that is in them is due to the blindness of their heart. And this is the reason they're alienated from the life that God gives. What does blindness of heart mean? You could translate the word blindness perhaps even more clearly as hardness. Because of the hardness of their heart. One scholar, Bruce, writes this regarding this passage. Quote, the progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. This is the blindness or hardness of heart. And isn't it interesting that the scriptures speak to the reality of believers having their conscience cleansed? The reality of believers having their conscience cleansed. Just a couple of passages. Turn over to Hebrews for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Or one chapter over, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then first Peter, first Peter, chapter three and verse twenty one. Very challenging passage to understand because it speaks of the days of Noah. But then it says in verse twenty one, there is also an antitype. Meaning an ultimate end to this picture that was what happened with Noah and the flood which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Your baptism that proclaims that you are united with Christ, that he has died for you, that you've been raised with him, that very baptism all your life long is an appeal, as it were, to God for a clean conscience. Not that baptism is what saves, but it is a picture of being saved. It's at this point that we ought to say this. If you're a believer, you ought to be concerned about your conscience. The world walks, as Bruce describes it, in the progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. And the Lord God has given to each individual a conscience. And our consciences have been cleansed, brothers and sisters. But there are many times in the Christian life where we allow one thing after another thing after another thing to dull our consciences. Watching certain shows openly leads us to watching other kinds of shows. Watching other kinds of movies. Spending time with this kind of individual doing these kinds of activities sometimes over time will allow us to be dulled in conscience. We ought to be concerned about the conscience. We ought to keep our consciences clear. We ought to be tender of conscience. Why? Because the Lord Christ shed his blood to give you a clean conscience. But what are the descriptions of the lost that we've seen? Number one, they have their understanding dark. And number two, they're alienated from the life of God because of blindness of heart. Because of ignorance in them. And thirdly, they've given themselves over to lewdness. Now, the word lewd is not a word that we often use today in the same way, boys and girls. This could be translated immorality, bad living, vileness, debauchery. But look at verse 19, who being past feeling, there's that connection again to conscience, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Notice the phrase there, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Thought about that picture there of working sinful things with a greedy heart. Don't want to read too much into this particular phrase, but you get the sense that lost individuals are greedy for sin. Three descriptions of the lost Paul gives us. A darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God and given themselves over to lewdness. Now, before we look at our next set of threes, consider this as you consider the lost. 
There are people walking all around us, people with whom we work, people who live next door, people in our families who have literally given themselves over to sin. People who have darkened understanding and people who are alienated, separated from, divorced from the very life that we love and cling to in Christ. Paul gives us three descriptions of the lost. But secondly, I think in our text, Paul gives us three truths about believers. Three truths about believers. Look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. Meaning everything that was just said about the lost. That's not how you learn Christ. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. I think these three descriptions come to us by way of the verbs that are here. One commentator Merkel particularly points out these three verbs. Notice the the verbs as a description of believers. Believers have learned, they've heard, and they've been taught. Your translation may have some other synonym for those, but they're there. Believers have learned, they've heard, and they've been taught. Those are the three truths about us. We've learned Christ. Not just learned of Christ, but learned Christ. But notice verse 21. If indeed you have heard him. And then it continues and have been taught by him. Now, this is not the first time in the book of Ephesians that the following question comes up. When did Jesus go to Ephesus? Survey in your mind for just a few moments the earthly ministry of Christ, the three year earthly ministry. Think of the cities that he went to. He spent time in Samaria. Remember that? He he spent time in Galilee, Judea. Of course, he spent time in Jerusalem. He lived for a while in Nazareth. He was born in David's Bethlehem. But when did he go all the way over to Ephesus? Never. And yet Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians and says, you learn Christ and you have heard him. When did they hear his voice? You've been taught by him. How can Paul say of the Ephesians, you've been taught by Christ when Christ never physically went to Ephesus? Well, hopefully most of you will recall that the preaching of the word of Christ is the word of Christ. Turn back one or two chapters to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17. Notice what is written there. Speaking of Jesus that breaks down the wall between Jews and Gentiles, Paul writes this, And he, that is Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. I take that to mean Gentiles and Jews. When did Jesus go to Ephesus? Well, he went there by his spirit through the preaching of his word by the ministers that he sent. So we are right to say of believers today that you have learned Christ. You have heard him. You have been taught by him. 
Not that the preachers that proclaim his words to you are Christ, but as his word is taught and rightly proclaimed, it is his voice to his followers. And should the Lord tarry and 500 years from now, there is a gospel proclaiming word here on Todd's Lane. And there is a pulpit here 500 years from now. And every last one of us are deceased. And there is a minister standing here where I stand now preaching the word of Christ to a new generation of believers. It will be Christ's words to his flock. My sheep hear my voice and they know me, Christ says. Three truths about believers are that they've learned Christ, they've heard of Christ, they've been taught by Him. Now specifically in this context, what what have they learned and heard and been taught by Christ? By the preaching of His Word? Well, verse 17 makes clear that what we have been taught is that we should no longer walk in a particular way. Now notice... How the grammar of the passage works. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And then the verses continue, giving you a description of the lost. But verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ. Learning of Christ is learning of his ways and his commands. The way that you walk is something that Christ addresses. But if you continue to verses 20 to 22, notice as well that Jesus has taught you to walk in specific ways. Now, the logic of this entire passage hinges on the fact that you understand as a believer that as Christ is proclaimed to you, as the word is taught to you, it is as if Christ is speaking to you. And when Christ speaks to you and you hear sermons week in and week out, what is it that you learn? You learn to walk in specific ways. The text says that it is he who has taught you to be holy. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what Christ teaches you. This is what you and I have been taught by Christ through the men that he sent to proclaim his word to us. And notice verse 21 just absolutely makes it stunningly clear. The truth is in Jesus. And notice this truth is that you and I are to put off. The old ways. You know, there is a stream of thought in much of Christianity today that argues that the Old Testament is a a list of do's and don'ts, of rules. But in the New Testament, all that really matters is that Jesus has died for sins. Now, make no mistake, that is the centerpiece of all of the Bible, that Jesus is the Savior of all who ever come to him. But notice that Paul is at pains to say Christ has come to you, Ephesians, and he has taught you. You've learned of him. You've heard him. And what has he taught you? Don't walk like the Gentiles. That's what Christ has taught you. So the idea that the grace of the cross and the life of a believer 
is not going to come with training in how to walk is absolutely unbiblical. Our walk is not the basis of our salvation. Our pursuit of holiness, our putting off of the old man is not the basis of our salvation. It is not the ground of our salvation. It is not through being faithful to Christ that we will remain saved. But when you are saved through faith alone, with Christ as your only ground of salvation, you grow into looking more like Him. Because He's your teacher. He's the one who's taught you. You put off these ways. So to be clear, before we get to our third and final list of threes, if you're here tonight and you want to know what it means to be saved, it is not seeking not to sin. It is not seeking to be faithful. It's not cleaning yourself up. It's not preparing your heart so that Jesus will receive you. Being saved is seeing that you are a sinner and that Christ has died for your sins and offers you everlasting life and you receive him. He is offered to you in the gospel and you receive him by faith alone. Not by faithfulness to him alone, but faith alone. You receive Christ. But then as you grow in him, as the first part of chapter four says, you grow up. Seeing I'm united to the one who makes unique and particular claims over my life. Look different. Be different. And it's not a legalistic apostle that's teaching you these things. Verse 20 makes it clear. It's Christ. You've been taught by him. You've learned of him. You've heard him. Before we look at our final list of threes, just one other word about preaching. If the preaching of the word of Christ is his word to his people, which we say all the time around here. It's really a phrase from the Reformation, the 1500s, by the way. It's not something we've made up. If the preaching of the word of Christ is the word of Christ, then we ought to consider weekly sermons. Whoever's in the pulpit, weekly sermons is something that we ought to prepare for. Listen, Christ is going to speak to me tomorrow. I want to pray for the man that is preaching the word. If he preaches it faithfully, if he sticks to the text, if he doesn't throw in a lot of jokes and a lot of stories and a lot of his own application that has nothing to do with that particular text, if he proclaims the word of Christ, then Jesus is going to speak to me tomorrow. That's what we ought to be thinking on Sunday night. I mean, Saturday night. We ought to be thinking Christ has spoken. I want to hear him. Which is why people down through the ages like C.H. Spurgeon can say that sometimes there are the realities that people will be saved and the preacher has no oratory ability. I believe it was Spurgeon who indeed came to Christ through a very simple substitute preacher. You live in a day where the ability of a man to speak is what we're looking for. Does he keep my attention? There is definitely the need to pray for the ministers of Christ that they may preach clearly. Brothers and sisters, the preaching of the word of Christ is the word of Christ. We ought to be going to bed on Saturday night going, Lord, please clear the decks of all the clutter of my life so that for 30 to 45 minutes, I may hear him. Three descriptions of the lost. Three truths about believers. Believers. 
And they're precious truths. And finally, three comparisons. This text gives us three comparisons. The first comparison is the lost mind versus the saved mind. The lost mind versus the saved mind. Look at verse 17. It says that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, which we've already seen means or is described as a darkened understanding, alienated from God. But notice at the end of our text, in comparison to the futile, lost, darkened mind of the unredeemed, we're given a picture of what the mind of the saved person looks like. Look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, brothers and sisters, there's great hope here because Paul tells a bunch of formerly pagan, idol-worshiping Ephesians that they can be renewed in the spirit of their minds. These, if you know anything about Ephesus and about the 60s AD, these would have been people involved in demonic idol worship. These would have been individuals coming out of all kinds of former sexual sin. These would have been individuals who perhaps had abandoned some of their children because they were female children or deformed children. These would have been individuals, perhaps, who had done all kinds of lewd acts in the worship of false gods in the temples of this world. And Paul says, no longer is your mind in darkness and in futility. Your mind is a mind that can be renewed day by day in the spirit of your mind. I just want to encourage you tonight, brother or sister. That however darkened your mind once was, it can be renewed by the work of the Spirit. Applying to it the very conscience-cleaning word of Christ. Isn't it Paul in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 that says that we present our bodies as living sacrifices. That we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We often hear that command and we think, I wish my mind was more renewed than it is. But let's take one step prior to that. Before we get to the point where we say, I wish my mind was more renewed than it currently is. What if we say, thank you, God, that you, by the life of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in my heart, have made it so that my mind can actually be renewed. All of the hours of staring at all kinds of evil things on the internet. It can be renewed. All of the years of saying words that are absolutely unutterable, even in common secular company, that can be renewed. The ways that we think about ourselves, the deep sinful narcissism that so often plagued us when we were living for ourselves, that can be renewed. Our thinking can be renewed. We ought to say, thank you, Lord. The command for our minds to be renewed is a command that leads me to my knees to say, thank you. Lord, in your word, you have actually revealed to me that my mind, the way that I think, it can actually be renewed. Now, to be clear, this phrase, spirit of your mind. Is this a particular part of our brains? Is this our soul? We're not specifically told in this text. Again, in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us 
be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I think what he has in mind here is not just our literal thoughts, but all of our thoughts and the core of who we are in our souls. But this is Paul's prayer elsewhere in this book. Turn over one chapter prior to Ephesians 3, verse 16. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Paul is praying, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. We ought to pray for the renewing of our minds the way that Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 3. Lord, today, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night, Lord, today, I pray that you would grant me, according to the riches of your glory, that I might be strengthened in the inner man. That my mind might be renewed by your spirit. So, the lost mind versus the regenerate mind. But secondly, Paul says, a comparison is given between darkened understanding and knowing of truth. I won't read all of verses 17 to 19 again, but you remember the picture there of unbelievers is that they are darkened in their understanding. But in verses 20 to 24, believers are pictured as what? Knowing truth. I don't know if you see the comparison there. Unbelievers, darkened understanding. Believers, knowing truth. And one particular point on this, look at verse 22, that you may put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the... And then Paul could have just said lusts here. Because that's really what it is. The sinful lusts. We grow as unbelievers... Corrupt according to our lusts, which lead us astray. But notice how Paul describes lusts, the lusts of unbelievers. He particularly uses a word related to truth. Deceit. Have you considered the fact that in your former conduct, walking outside of Christ, the lusts which you pursued lied to you? They were deceitful to you. They promised you things that they didn't offer you. This is a glorious phrase for us. You see, part of the way that we know truth is that we've come to know Jesus and Jesus shines a light on the lies of all of our former lusts. We were enticed by them. Because we were walking in darkness. We were ignorant of the truth. Our minds were darkened. We didn't know the truth. And so every single lust that came our way, we listened to it and we said, okay, I'll follow you. They lied to us, beloved. Our lusts are pictured. They're personified as if they're people lying, lying to us. Darkened understanding has given way to knowing truth. Now, we so often still wrestle with giving in to temptation, don't we? But now the light of Christ has begun to shine in our hearts 
so that slowly over the course of our life of sanctification, some of our lusts are seen to be what they are, deceitful. I'm not going to follow you. You're lying to me. King Jesus has told me about you. You lead to death. And on and on and on it goes. Well, our third comparison, and we're finished, is that Paul in this passage compares for us walking in sin with walking in holiness. Walking in sin with walking in holiness. Look at verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But then look how we're described in verse 24. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, do you see the comparison here? Lewdness and uncleanness with greediness versus true righteousness and holiness after God. That's the comparison. And Paul says in verse 24, put on. The Greek word there for put on has the sense of taking on the characteristics and virtues and intentions of something. That's the really technical Greek lexicon's version of it. Taking on the characteristics and virtues and intentions. So you are to live a life taking on the characteristics, virtues, and intentions of the man that has been created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. No longer are you greedy for uncleanness and deceived by every lust that comes your way. But you're increasingly desirous to live according to righteousness and holiness. Three groups of three. Three descriptions of the lost Paul gives us. Three truths about you and me as believers. And three comparisons. So Paul can say in verse 17, This I say therefore, because you've been united to Christ, because you are to grow up into Him who is your head, put off the ways of the old man and put on the ways of Created by God specifically for you as a believer, living a life of truth in righteousness and holiness. Paul gives us really a picture here of what it's like to go from having a darkened mind to a renewed mind. Let's pray. Almighty God, help we, your people. put off the ways that we used to clothe ourselves with, to put on the ways that have been formed for us by God. Create in us, O Lord, by your Spirit, the mind of Christ. May we love his ways. May we listen to his voice when we hear it preached. That week in and week out, may we... Love Him more and grow of Him and desire to follow after Him that He may shine the light in every crevice of our hearts so that deceitful lusts can be seen increasingly for what they are. Liars. That He is truth. And that He, the true and living One, laid down His life for His sheep. 
May love for him propel us into the pursuit of righteousness and godliness. Help us, we ask. Give us, O Lord, increasingly the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name.